Section 5 of The Heptameron of the Tales of Margaret, Queen of Navarre, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heptameron of the Tales of Margaret, Queen of Navarre, Volume 2, by Margaret of Navarre. Translated by George Saintsbury. First Day, Tale 10, Part 3. After the marriage, Florida departed with her husband to the Duchy of Cardona, taking with her Aventurada, whom she privately acquainted with her sorrow, both as regards her mother's harshness and her own regret at having lost the son of the Infante of Fortune. But she never spoke of her regret for Amador, except to console his wife. This young lady then resolved to keep God and honor before her eyes. So well did she conceal her grief that none of her friends perceived that her husband was displeasing to her. In this way she spent a long time, living a life that was worse than death, as she failed not to inform her lover Amador, who, knowing the virtue and greatness of her heart, as well as the love that she had borne to the son of the Infante of Fortune, thought it impossible that she could live long, and mourned for her as for one that was more than dead. This sorrow was an increase to his former grief, and forgetting his own distress in that which he knew his sweetheart was enduring, he would willingly have continued all his life the slave he was if Florida could thereby have had a husband after her own heart. He learned from a friend whom he had gained at the court of Tunis that the king, wishing to keep him if only he could make a good Turk of him, intended to give him his choice between impalement and the renunciation of his faith. Thereupon he so addressed himself to his master, the governor who had taken him prisoner, that he persuaded him to release him on parole. His master named, however, a much higher ransom than he thought could be raised by a man of such little wealth. And then, without speaking to the king, he let him go. When Amador reached the court of the king of Spain, he stayed there but a short time, and then, in order to seek his ransom among his friends, he repaired to Barcelona, whither the young Duke of Cardona, his mother, and Florida had gone on business. As soon as Aventurada heard that her husband was returned, she told the news to Florida, who rejoiced as though for love of her friend. Fearing, however, that her joy at seeing Amador might make her change her countenance, and that those who did not know her might think wrongly of her, she remained at a window in order to see him coming from afar. As soon as she perceived him, she went down by a dark staircase, so that none could see whether she changed color, and embracing Amador, led him to her room, and thence to her mother-in-law, who had never seen him. He had not been there for two days before he was loved as much as he had been in the household of the Countess of Aranda. I leave you to imagine the conversation that he and Florida had together, and how she complained to him of the misfortunes that had come to her in his absence. After shedding many tears of sorrow, both for having been married against her will and also for having lost one she loved so dearly without any hope of seeing him again, she resolved to take consolation from the love and trust she had towards Amador. Though she durst not declare the truth, he suspected it, and lost neither time nor opportunity to show her how much he loved her. Just when Florida was all but persuaded to receive him, not as a lover, but as a true and perfect friend, a misfortune came to pass, for the king summoned Amador to him concerning some important matter. His wife was so grieved on hearing these tidings that she swooned, and, falling down a staircase on which she was standing, was so hurt that she never rose again. Florida, having by this death lost all her consolation, mourned like one who felt herself bereft of friends and kin. But Amador grieved still more, for on the one part he lost one of the best wives that ever lived, and on the other the means of ever seeing Florida again. This caused him such sorrow that he was near coming by a sudden death. The old Duchess of Cardona visited him incessantly, reciting the arguments of philosophers why he should endure his loss with patience. But all was of no avail, for if on the one hand his wife's death afflicted him, on the other, his love increased his martyrdom. Having no longer any excuse to stay when his wife was buried, 
and his master again summoned him. His despair was such that he was like to lose his reason. Florida, who, thinking to comfort him, was herself the cause of his greatest grief, spent a whole afternoon in the most gracious converse with him in order to lessen his sorrow, and assured him that she would find means to see him oftener than he thought. Then, as he was to depart on the following morning, and was so weak that he could scarcely stir from his bed, he prayed her to come and see him in the evening, after every one else had left him. This she promised to do, not knowing that love in extremity is void of reason. Amador altogether despaired of ever again seeing her whom he had loved so long, and from whom he had received no other treatment than I have described. Racked by secret passion and by despair at losing all means of consorting with her, he resolved to play a double or quits, and either lose her altogether or else wholly win her, and so pay himself in an hour the reward which he thought he had deserved. Accordingly, he had his bed curtained in such a manner that those who came into the room could not see him, and he complained so much more than he had done previously that all the people of the house thought he had not twenty-four hours to live. After everyone else had visited him, Florida, at the request of her husband himself, came in the evening, hoping to comfort him by declaring her affection, and by telling him that, so far as honor allowed, she was willing to love him. She sat down on a chair beside the head of his bed, and began her consolation by weeping with him. Amador, seeing her filled with such sorrow, thought that in her distress he might the more readily achieve his purpose, and raised himself up in the bed. Florida, thinking that he was too weak to do this, sought to prevent him, but he threw himself on his knees before her, saying, "'Must I lose sight of you forever?' Then he fell into her arms like one exhausted. The hapless Florida embraced him and supported him for a long time, doing all she could to comfort him. But what she offered him to cure his pain only increased it, and while feigning to be half dead, he, without saying a word, strove to obtain that which the honor of ladies forbids. When Florida perceived his evil purpose, in which she could hardly believe after all his honorable conversation, she asked him what he sought to do. Amador, fearing her reply, which he knew could not be otherwise than chaste and virtuous, said nothing, but pursued his attempt with all the strength that he could muster. Florida, greatly astonished, suspected rather that he had lost his senses than that he was really bent upon her dishonor, and called out to a gentleman whom she knew to be in the room, whereupon Amador, in extreme despair, flung himself back upon his bed so suddenly that the gentleman thought him dead. Florida, who had risen from her chair, then said to the gentleman, "'Go quickly for some strong vinegar.' This the gentleman did, whereupon Florida said, "'What madness, Amador, has mounted to your brain? What was it you thought and wished to do?' Amador, who had lost all reason in the vehemence of his love, replied, "'Does so long a service merit so cruel a reward?' "'And what of the honor of which you have so often preached to me?' said Florida. "'Ah, madam,' said Amador, "'it would be impossible to hold your honor more dear than I have held it. Before you were married, I was able so to subdue my heart that you knew nothing of my desires. But now that you are wedded and your honor may be shielded, do I wrong you in asking for what is mine? By the strength of my love I have won you. He who first possessed your heart had so little desire for your person that he deserved to lose both.' He who now owns your person is not worthy to have your heart, and hence even your person does not properly belong to him. But for five or six years I have for your sake borne many pains and woes, which must show you that your body and heart belong to me alone. Think not to defend yourself by speaking of conscience, for when love constrains body and heart, sin is never imputed. Those who are driven by frenzy so far as to slay themselves cannot sin, for passion leaves no room for reason, and if the passion of love be more intolerable than any other, and more blinding to the senses, what sin could you fasten upon one who yields to the conduct of such indomitable power? 
I am going away, and have no hope of ever seeing you again. But if before my departure I could have of you that assurance which the greatness of my love deserves, I should be strengthened sufficiently to endure in patience the sorrows of a long separation. If you will not grant me my request, you will ere long learn that your harshness has brought me to a miserable and cruel death. Florida was not less grieved than astonished to hear these words from one whom she had never imagined capable of such discourse, and weeping, she thus replied, "'Alas, Amador, is this the honorable converse that we used to have together while I was young? Is this the honor or conscience which many a time you counseled me to value more than life? Have you forgotten both the worthy examples you set before me of virtuous ladies who withstood unholy love, and also your own contempt for erring women?' I cannot believe you so changed, Amador, that regard for God, your own conscience, and my honor is wholly dead within you. But, if it indeed be as you say, I praise the divine goodness which has prevented the misfortune into which I was about to fall, and has revealed to me by your own words the heart of which I was so ignorant, having lost the son of the Infante of Fortune, not only by my marriage, but also, as is known to me, by reason of his love for another, and finding myself wedded to a man whom, strive as I may, I cannot love, I resolved to set heart and affection entirely upon loving you. This love I built upon that virtue which I had so often perceived in you, and to which, by your own assistance, I think I have attained. I mean the virtue of loving one's honor and conscience more than life. I came hither thinking to make this rock of virtue a sure foundation of love, but you have in a moment shown me, Amador, that instead of a pure and cleanly rock, this foundation would have been one of shifting sand or filthy mire, and although a great part of the house in which I hoped always to dwell had already been raised, you have suddenly demolished it. Lay aside, therefore, any hope you had concerning me, and make up your mind not to seek me by look or word wherever I may be, or to hope that I shall ever be able or willing to change my resolve. It is with the deepest sorrow that I tell you this, though had I gone so far as to swear eternal love with you, I know that my heart could not have lived through this meeting. Even now I am so confounded to find myself deceived, that I am sure my life will be either short or sad. With these words I bid you farewell, and forever. I will not try to describe to you the grief that Amador felt on hearing this speech. It is impossible not only to describe it, but even to conceive it, except indeed to such as have experienced the like. Seeing that, with this cruel conclusion, she was about to leave him, he seized her by the arm, knowing full well that if he did not remove her evil opinion of him, he would lose her forever. Accordingly, he dissembled his looks as well as he could, and said, "'During my whole life, madam, I have desired to love a woman of virtue, and having found so few of them, I was minded to put you to proof, and so discover whether you were as well worthy of esteem as of love. Now I know for certain that you are, and therefore I give praise to God, who has inclined my heart to the love of such great perfection. I entreat you to pardon my mad and foolhardy attempt, seeing that the issue of it has turned to your honor, and to my great satisfaction.' Florida was beginning to learn through him the deceitfulness of men, and, just as she had formerly found it difficult to believe in evil where it existed, so did she now find it even more difficult to believe in virtue where there was none. "'Would to God you spoke the truth,' she said to him, "'but I am not so ignorant as not to know by my experience in marriage that the blindness of strong passion led you to act as you did. Had God given me a loose rein, I am sure that you would not have drawn bridle.' Those who go in quest of virtue are wont to take a different road to yours. But enough. If I have been too hasty in crediting you with some goodness, it is time I learn the truth, by which I am now delivered out of your hands. So saying, Florida left the room. As long as the night lasted, she did not but weep, for the change that had taken place caused her intense grief, 
and her heart had much ado to hold out against the sorrowing of love. Although, guided by reason, she had resolved to love no more, yet the heart, which cannot be subdued, would in no wise permit this. Thus, she was unable to love him less than before, and knowing that love had been the cause of his offense, she made up her mind to satisfy love by continuing to love him with her whole heart, and to obey honor by never giving any sign of her affection, either to him or to anyone else. In the morning, Amador departed in the distress that I have described. Nevertheless, his heart, which was so lofty that there was none like it in the world, suffered him not to despair, but prompted him to new devices for seeing Florida again and winning her favor. So as he proceeded to the king of Spain, who was then at Toledo, he took his way through the country of Aranda, where he arrived very late one evening and found the countess in great sadness on account of the absence of her daughter. When she saw Amador, she kissed and embraced him, as though he had been her own son, and this no less for the love she herself bore him as for that which she suspected he had for Florida. She asked minutely for news of her daughter, and he told her what he could, though not the entire truth. However, he confessed the love which existed between them, and which Florida had always concealed, and he begged the countess to aid him in hearing often of Florida, and to take her as speedily as possible to Aranda. At daybreak he went on his way, and when he had dispatched his business with the king, he left for the war. So sad was he, and so changed in every way, that ladies, captains, and acquaintances alike could scarcely recognize him. He now wore nothing but black, and this of a heavier pile than was needful as mourning for his dead wife, but indeed her death served only as a cloak for the sorrow that was in his heart. Thus Amador spent three or four years without returning to court. The Countess of Aranda, hearing that Florida was changed, and that it was pitiful to see her, sent for her, hoping that she would return home. The contrary, however, happened, when Florida learned that Amador had told her mother of their love, and that she, although so discreet and virtuous, had approved of it. She was in extraordinary perplexity. On the one hand, she perceived that if her mother, who had such great esteem for Amador, were told the truth, some mischief might befall the latter. In this even to save her life she would not have brought to pass, for she felt strong enough to punish his folly herself without calling on her kinsfolk for assistance. On the other hand, she saw that, if she concealed the evil she knew of him, she would be constrained by her mother and all her friends to speak to him and show him favor. In this, she feared, would only strengthen his evil purpose. However, as he was a long way off, she kept her own counsel, and wrote to him whenever the countess commanded her. Still, her letters were such that he could see they were written more out of obedience than goodwill, and the grief he felt in reading them was as great as his joy had been in reading the earlier ones. At the end of two or three years, when he had performed so many noble deeds that all the paper in Spain could not contain the records of them, he conceived a very skillful device, not indeed to win Florida's heart, which he looked upon as lost, but to gain the victory over his enemy, since such she had shown herself to be. He put aside all the promptings of reason, and even the fear of death, and at the risk of his life resolved to act in the following way. He persuaded the chief governor to send him on an embassy to the king, concerning some secret attempt against Lucat, and he procured a command to take counsel with the Countess of Aranda about the matter before communicating it to the king. Then he came post-haste to the county of Aranda, where he knew Florida to be, and secretly sent a friend to inform the Countess of his coming, praying her to keep it secret, and to grant him audience at nightfall without the knowledge of anyone. End of section 5